Gaining over 50 pounds of lean muscle doesn't happen easily, and for Jared Petrusky, it was no exception. Listen to how this skinny 130-pound ex-pro cyclist changed gears and became a strong and healthy 185-pound weightlifter. Learn what advice Jared has on weight training, optimizing goals, and managing time on this episode of A Tale to Tell. My name is Don Roberts, and I'm the host of this podcast. I've got Jared Petrosky here. Hi, Jared. Hi. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm excited. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. So, ex-pro cyclist turns weightlifter. Yeah. Man, I yeah. mean, you were the skinny, 130-ish pounder, mm-hmm. goes on to be, what are you now, about 180, 185? Yeah, 185 on, I'd say, a good day after Thanksgiving meal, <laughs> Well, you're honestly probably pound for pound one of the strongest men I know. And I mean that from hundreds and hundreds of people I've had in the gym over wow. many, many years. So wow. that's a fact. So uh, pretty fascinating. We're going to hear how you've, you know, over all these years, squatted over 300 and deadlifted over 400 and benched over 300. And so stick around, folks. You're going to hear a lot about uh, Jared's climb in strength. And in lean muscle mass. Uh, before we go there, let's talk about your upbringing. Where yeah. uh, I'd like to know a little bit about where you're from and a little of your childhood sure. and whatnot. So yeah, I grew up in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan, in a town called Menominee. Super small, same, probably the same size as Durango, fifteen or twenty thousand people, plus or minus. Um, my mom uh, married my stepdad when I was really, really young, and he had a farm, so on the weekdays, I'd obviously go to school and hang out with my mom, and then on the weekends, we'd jump over to the farm and, you know, cut grass and play with animals and dig in the garden and get, you know, four-wheelers stuck in the field, and people had to come with tractors and pull us out. <laughs> How so, big a farm? Um, gosh, there were two separate 40-acre lots, so 80 acres total. Yeah. And then they had um, uh, cattle, so just for milk, basically. So you were like Milo, you used to pick up little calves and you gradually oh, yeah. until they became cows? Oh, Is sure. that how you got so strong? That's how I got so strong, My yeah. gosh. That's the secret. <laughs> <laughs> Man. All right, so farm kid. And uh, and so school, were you involved in sports and whatnot in school? Yeah, I was, you know, always did sports. Um, I really, really excelled at baseball. But I did track, I did cross country, I did football. Uh, my mom tried to get me into soccer, but that was one of those things that didn't stick. You know, I could never not want to be by the ball, and I could never really understand that there were positions where you need to be so people could <laughs> other, pass the other ball. places on the yeah, field. I always just followed the ball. Well. So, uh, but yeah, um, and then in high school, sophomore, junior year is when I uh, got really into weightlifting through a PE class. And so my PE teacher, Joe Johnson, at that time, he was, before it got really popular, he was an ultra marathon runner. So he'd run, you know, 100, 150 miles. He was a big rower. So he did, you know, rowing competitions and all that. He had, his back was as wide as your desk. He was huge. So you know, he's still around. My mom's friend from back home uh, and him, you know, are still really good friends and they talk. And so I always 
you know, tell my mom to say hi to him for me. And so he was also a weight training coach, or yeah. he got you into... Yeah, he was okay. just one of those guys that were just, he was naturally just bigger framed, you know, he had bigger arms, bigger legs, and all that, but yeah, he ran miles and miles and miles a day, and then he would go home and row, and because we lived right on Green Bay, on the, the part of Lake Michigan, and flop his boat in and just go row. So he was hours. a he was quite the cross trainer. Yeah, he was a really good influence on me. I never I should probably reach out to him and let him know that, but he was he was a really really good influence on me. So you're in high school, you're lifting and then you're you're doing you're doing baseball, you're doing cross country and then how how'd you get into cycling? So I found out that I was really good cardiovascularly from cross country because I could run, you know, I, I would watch these kids from freshman, sophomore year and, you know, they were big runners and I just started running one day with them and I was able to beat them. And I thought, well, shoot, I mean, it comes fairly easy to me. I mean, you, I never really find running easy. You know, it's always really, really hard, but I certainly think so. Yeah. Well. It, but my knees started to hurt and my hips really started to hurt really bad and come to find out later on uh, getting physicals in college that I have fairly loose ligaments in my knees and that's not really a good combination to have when you're a runner so Joe had said well maybe you should you know maybe you should try cycling and I said well I you know I didn't really know anything about it I've been on a bike but yeah what do you mean cycling yeah and my mom bought me a mountain bike I think when I was probably 12 or 13 and then, uh, you know, the whole Lance Armstrong thing came out, right? So then cycling kind of came to the forefront of all the sports. So I thought, well, shoot, I mean, if this guy could do it, and I'm good at, you know, running or whatever, my, like things that involve your cardiovascular system, I thought, well, maybe I'll try this. Give it a shot. Yeah. And then it just kind of turned into an obsession and snowballed from there. <laughs> and so how did you end up in Colorado? What brought you out here? So my mom's sister lives in Denver, and we'd always take family trips out here, out to Colorado. And I remember, from the first time that I can remember, I remember seeing the mountains as you're driving in from eastern Colorado and thinking, you know, that's exactly where I want to be. I want to be in the mountains somewhere. I want to be in Colorado. So uh, my Aunt Sue would always tell me, you know, mountain biking's huge out in Colorado. And I thought, well, that's, that's my outlet. Because I didn't have... There weren't any trails where I used to live. So I used to ride my mountain bike on the road for miles and miles and miles and just ride. So I would try to find really good trails. And unfortunately, that would mean me traveling a couple hours away from where I lived. And um, thankfully, at that age, my mom bought my brother and I a car and I was able to use it. But it was just hard to get away all the time as much as I wanted to. So uh, I thought, you know what? Colorado's the place to be. And then Durango is my uncle, so my aunt's husband, came out here in the 70s to Fort Lewis. And then my cousin, their daughter, my mom's, my aunt's daughter, my cousin, came to Fort Lewis as well. So I thought, well. Why not? Why not? <laughs> and they're a nationally ranked cycling team. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe I could learn. You know, I never thought that I would, I mean, I wanted to get somewhere, but I knew just how steep of a climb it took to get to that point and so I never really 
I never really thought that I could get there, but... What the heck? What the heck? Yeah. I tried it, and it happened. So you came to college here, mm -hmm. and at that point in time, what year was that? 2001. 2001. And so did they actually have a an organized cycling team, and what, what did that look like? Uh, yeah, the cycling team was fairly organized, but it wasn't a... It wasn't like a... Uh, um, Collegiate sport? Exactly. Yeah, okay. so there was no funding behind it or anything. It was just, if you want to come ride, you come ride. You know, they have... We had this thing, or this vehicle called the box van, which was a van that looked like a huge box. And you just throw your bike in there, and we'd travel to the front range and race and sleep on people's couches and <laughs> race and drink beer and yeah. race and, you know, just... And, and have fun. And it was really, really fun. And it, 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 it gave me a really good understanding of you know, what it took to be really, really good. Uh, because there was a kid here at the time named Tom Danielson. Oh, who, yeah. Who we, we all raced with at, at that time. And, um, you know, he was always super, super nice to me. And he, but he was, he was just really, really good. He was really gifted. Um, he's a really, really good gifted, gifted cyclist. So from that, I learned structured training, structured eating, structured sleeping. And then... Unfortunately, my family has really bad OCD, so that is, I guess, really good for people like cyclists because <laughs> then you can get into routine really easy. Sure. So uh, for me, it was it was pretty easy to uh, to get into that lifestyle. Jared, excuse me, were you doing both road cycling primarily, or were you were you also doing mountain bike? Was it both or one or? So the fall is more mountain bike, and the spring, summer, early fall is more road. So I started out when I was younger, late teens, mountain biking, because I didn't have a road bike at that time. Uh, so I did, uh, yeah, mountain biking first just because it was there, and then I kind of branched out into, just into road biking. Yeah. And by the way, thank you so much for this jersey. I mean, this is just fantastic. I oh can't gosh. wait to yeah. hang it up. I have yeah. a signed jersey from Jared Petrosky here. And uh, even though it looks like... Uh, well, it looks like you wore it when you were 11. Um, it's just crazy to think that you were 130 pounds. Yeah. And now you're 185, and yeah. we're going to talk more about that. Yeah. But, uh, so, you ended up doing some riding across the pond, as they say. Yeah. You ended up uh, basically going pro and, and, and going over to Spain. Yeah. Right? And that was in... Now I'm assuming you were you were kind of done at Fort Lewis, and then you ended up heading over to Spain, right, in 05? Yeah, 2005. Tell us, tell us a bit about that. So I got an invite to go ride over in Spain for a, a, a team over there, and it was due to my coach here in Durango, Rick Crawford, had some connections over in Spain, and I was fortunate enough to have some money saved up from working, and I, I went. I, I thought, you know what? I'm, God, 2005, I was 23, so I thought, you know, I'm, I might not get this opportunity again. My mom was a huge support. Uh, I thought maybe she would say no, because the, the, it was expensive to do, you know, I had to buy my own plane ticket and fly over and support myself for a little while, and, uh, and she's been a huge supporter of everything that I've done, you know, I, I, I think it's hard to get to a place that, where you're at the pinnacle of whatever thing that you're doing without a you know good support structure. Yeah, we never do it on our own, no, right? Gosh, no. People might say it yeah, or no, think it, but it doesn't happen that way. No, no man is an island. 
So, uh, so I went and it was fantastic. I met a lot of people. I learned a lot about the sport that I was in. I learned a lot of the good stuff. I learned a lot of the bad stuff. So tell us some of those good and some of those bad. Uh, well, the good is that I learned that a culture shock going to somewhere where food is different, cars are different, people are different, language is different, is a good thing. You know, culture shock is really, really good. It's a, um, it's good to branch out, you know. The bad was just the performance-enhancing drugs that were around. Have any stories you want to share? Any particular uh, events or anything going on over there that yeah. stick out? So there's, there's a, typically how the, the, the system works is that there's, in bigger cities, there's a local university who has, say, a club team. Right, and the the good riders from that club team get fed onto the pro continental team, and in order to, it's never you're never told that you have to do performance enhancing drugs. You're never you're never given a box to say, "Cool, you have to do this," but you are told that you have to get results in order to get a contract. So, if the guys who are winning the races are doing performance enhancing drugs. You have to do well to you have to do them as well to compete. So it's it's just a, it's a gimme, mm-hmm. you know, a given basically. So we were doing a race down in southern Spain, down in Valencia, and uh, there was this kid I've seen a couple times from the club team who would travel with us. He was he was from a pretty well-to-do family, but he's super nice kid. You know, he just he just wanted to ride his bike and race, right? And so. We were starting this race, I think it was like a 120 mile race or something. And usually you don't, everyone starts just kind of neutral, right? Everyone's just, you know, talking and getting their legs warmed up. Well, this kid just blasted off from the front. It's got a rocket. Just gone, <laughs> you know? And so I thought that he had, at the end of the race, I thought he had won it because we didn't see him again. <laughs> and so I saw him at the end of the race. I said, "Hey, man, wha- how did how did it go?" He's like, "Why, well, you know, I pulled out, pulled out twenty miles in. You know, and his lips are purple, hands are purple. Oh he gosh. has a thermal. I mean, this is July in southern Spain. You know, it's ninety-five degrees, hundred percent humidity. It's, it's ungodly hot. And his lips are purple, and he's sitting there shaking. He has a thermal on, and so he popped some pills. I don't know what that. I can assume. Lord only knows what. I could assume that they're." methamphetamines or something but you know so that was my first kind of dive into cycling and what people took to be good and so he uh, sorry to interrupt you but he pulled out because he probably was going to have a heart attack right yeah i mean could have yeah yeah (laughs) i mean at that time we did have heart rate monitors and we did have power meters so you could tell what your power was or what your heart rate was and you know, your heart rate can only go so high. I was going to say he was beyond his max. Yeah. I'm sure. And so I, smartly for him, he pulled out. But um, and then, you know, you hear other stories of guys who in the Tour de France were going to switch teams uh, because that's kind of when negotiations happen between riders and teams is during the Tour de France in July. And there's one story of a, of a guy who was on a really well-known team and he was going to go to a different team. And so what had happened was the director sportif of the team that he was on 
took his blood bag, because they were doing blood transfusions that day, took his blood bag, pulled it, held it over the sink, took a knife, and cut it. And so that rider didn't get his blood for that day. What the heck? So he, in essence, basically couldn't help the team. And so he ended up going from like 30th down to like 120th or whatever. And so a couple years later, that rider ended up getting busted for performance-enhancing drugs. But it's just the stuff that you hear and the stuff that you read about, you know, I think anybody... Well, I don't want to say anybody. I certainly said to myself, you know, is this worth it? Is it worth doing? Because I, I had the option of doing that stuff. Yeah. I mean, you can go to the pharmacy, for God's sakes, and get EPO. Yeah, you, but you have a lot more integrity and more, more self-worth, and there's things bigger than... Yeah. Well... Than, right? Yeah, for sure. I thought about it, but my real dad died when I was 10 from a massive heart attack. And so that's wow. always been, he was 42. Oh my gosh. 41, 42, 43, something like that. I'm sorry to hear that. And so he, you know, I always take a lesson out of everything that happens. And so the lesson for me was keep your health first. Cause now I'm almost 40 and that, well, that weighs on my mind. You know what I mean? And so yeah, whether consciously or subconsciously. Yeah, exactly. You just think about it. Yeah. How can you not? My really good friend that I met over in Spain, his name's Freddy Rodriguez. He was a world tour, uh, tour de France rider. He was a sprinter, multiple time national champion. And he was telling me, he goes, you know, man, you don't want to do performance enhancing drugs. And I was like, well, yeah, but why? And he said, well, you think of a car. Right? You think of a car with the engine, all the gaskets, the pistons, and all that. He goes, you can put high-octane high race fuel on that and race it for, I don't know, a good amount of time. But the problem is... And do that, really well and be yeah, really fast yeah, and but strong. the problem is that stuff's <laughs> going to wear out yep. and it needs to be replaced. And unfortunately, the thing that wears out with performance-enhancing drugs is your heart. That's your engine. And right. so when he said that to me triggered something in my head that like you know this cycling's fun cycling's great it's my life it's my hobby it's my love it's it's you know it was everything to me at that time but if that's something that I had to do I wasn't willing I would rather live till I'm 90 in fairly good health than live till I'm 50 you bet and absolutely be, and be a well-renowned cyclist that's just not you know it's just not who I am so Jared you you ended up also riding in Italy for a year or two, right? So after Spain, yeah. you went to Italy and rode. And how was that? Uh, it was good because I think going to going to Spain, I had I went there with with rose colored glasses on, thinking that doping wasn't a real thing, or it was just the people who got caught. It's all hearsay. Yeah, I'm exactly. gonna find out myself. Yeah. And and so I went over to Italy knowing exactly what I was getting into. And so I, I did fairly well. Um, but just the love wasn't there anymore. There was, there was just something I liked the training cause I liked to just leave on my bike from our apartment and just ride in Italy, you know, Tuscany, Italy, like what, like there's movies made about that. Right? It's one thing to ride is another to compete, right? Exactly. 
Yeah. So what I did for Italy was I said to myself when I was flying over there, I said, have fun, enjoy the scenery, enjoy the people, enjoy the food. If you don't do well, it's not the end of the world. You know, you, you could fall back on the degree that you got. Well, this is what, 2006. I was almost done with my degree at Fort Lewis College. I had another six months to go. But anyway, uh, you know, you could fall back on what you have. It's not going to, you know, the world's not going to judge you whether you're a professional cyclist or not. Like, they're not going to know. Yeah. It's just, so because that's what I identified with, is I identified with being a cyclist. And so, Italy, Italy was great. It was a lot of fun. My buddy Alex and I, uh, Alex was one of those natural gifted talented athletes. He was really, really good. So uh, he'd usually come in first. I'd usually come in second or third. And thankfully in Italy, they'd give you a whole box of wine. <laughs> nice. So, you know, you'd have like six or eight bottles in this box I'd, of wine. I'd take that. Yeah. Some wine, some cheese, yeah. whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And at the end of the year, we uh, we had a couple legs of prosciutto. So they basically, I'm not sure if you've been over to Italy, but Never in, in, Love to. in the markets, they have these cured pig's leg. Right? So you make it with prosciutto. So they they give you the pig leg as a present and a thing of wine. So the last three weeks in Italy, before I flew back, him and I would just drink wine. And hey, what, what eat, else do you need? And eat prosciutto. And survive on that for yeah, quite a while. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. <laughs> well, how exciting. And, uh, you know, obviously came back here and, you know, started your career. What was your degree in at Fort Lewis? It's in business. In business, yeah. and I know you've done well yeah. in the business world and worked for a, you know a few different companies. I I want to go down the path of weight training. Mm -hmm. uh, I know people are interested in hearing how you put on so much muscle mass and gain so much strength. And I will say, naturally, yeah. um, big difference, just like with cycling, right? Yeah. Um, you can get there in a short amount of time, but uh, <laughs> like most shortcuts in life. You're gonna you're gonna pay for it. Yeah. So, what made you come back to weight training? What you know? I know you've done it in high school, mm -hmm. and but but what kind of brought you back to that? What made you go back to the gym and start training? And uh, God, my honest answer is that I was really tired of just being skinny. You know, I was just I didn't I always. You were I want to just reiterate. You were very skinny. I yes. mean, and, and let's face it, most cyclists are. I mean, you can't. You can't afford to have the upper body size, right. especially, and even even lower body isn't that you know big. I mean, right. most cyclists probably are 120 to 140 pounds, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, and you yeah, were so somewhere there, about 130. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying, okay, I'm sick of this. I want to put on some meat on my bones. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And Just... so I've always needed some sort of outlet for. I've just oh I've always been a thinker. I've always just been one to just think about things admittedly just too much sometimes and so that's why cycling was so good is because you can just ride and just think and just think and not have to worry well you, you I mean you worry about cars and staying on the road and all that but man you can get through a lot of stuff in three hours of just dedicated thinking and riding and so weightlifting for me became that outlet because I had done it in high school and I had gotten good results in high school. Uh, 
in, you know, in regards to like muscle tone and, you know, and of course at that time you're kind of, you're super into girls. So girls are like, oh my God, look at your arms. You got a six pack. And, you know, <laughs> yada, yada, yada. So it makes you feel good. And I think anybody who comes into a gym and says that they're not there for some sort of aesthetic value is, is a liar. Yeah. I mean, you know, looking good is it. nice. Mm -hmm. But thankfully the reverse side of that is also the health that comes with it. And that's always been at the forefront of my thought process is, is health. Health is wealth. And nobody, well, I don't want to say nobody, but very few people would trade places with a billionaire who's bedridden. Exactly. And hardly anybody would do that. The saying goes, right, that we, we spend our youth trying to make all this money, right. but then we, we try to get those, back those years, try to spend all that money trying to get back our health. Exactly. Yeah. And it, uh, it's yeah. very, very difficult to do. It is, yeah. So that's always been at the forefront of my, um, of my life. And I think, now that I look back on it, you know, from the time you and I had talked about being on the podcast, I started thinking about, you know, kind of reminiscing about my life and where I'm at and why I'm here and why, just a lot of whys. Yeah. And so I think... I got back into weightlifting, one, as an outlet, but two, as a way to just be healthy. And thankfully, I, I think I've done it in a fairly healthy way. Oh, I know you have. I mean, I've watched you for many, many years. And uh, let's, let's talk about a few different levels here of, I want to talk some on nutrition. I want to talk some on sleep. I also want to talk about some specifics on your workout. So... When we sort of look at what I call sort of that pyramid or the triangle or the pie, however you want to kind of look at it, what do you put, you personally put at the top if you have to look at, say, sleep, nutrition, and training? Like what is, is or are they all equally important? Is, is there one thing that tends to have more value to you? For me, it's sleep. I've always loved sleep. How much do you try to get? Eight to nine. Mm-hmm. I've loved sleep through high school. I've loved sleep through college. I've loved sleep through my late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s. I just love it. I, well, and that's how we heal, right? Yeah. Everybody, you know this, and especially younger people that think they can get by, and they can, they can survive. You know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like that engine, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's going to keep going mm -hmm. until it doesn't. Right. You know, you can get by on five, six hours of sleep, yeah. but there's going to come a time where something's going to fall apart and you're going to increase your testosterone. You're going to increase your strength. You're going to put on more muscle mass. So I would concur with you on the sleep. Yeah. Um, and then what would you put next? Is is the training next? Is the nutrition next? What would you, I would say nutrition. It's really, really hard to outwork a bad diet. Mm -hmm. It's really, really hard. And I think what some people should put in the forefront of their thought process when eating something is you don't have to be satiated all the time from a meal. I mean, sometimes I have boring meals. I have grilled chicken and a salad with some peppers and maybe some blackberries. It's just, would I love to have burger and fries and a milkshake and a pizza? Absolutely. And you probably do once in a while. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, That's... <laughs> I, there's nothing wrong with in, in fact, when you have those kind of those duller type of meals, it makes your cheat meal... I mean, you think you love burgers and fries and pizza now, 
do a week and a half of really strict eating and then eat that burger, it tastes five times Makes better. you appreciate it, right? It's, yeah, absolutely. It's like yeah. having that cold beer. Yeah. You know, don't have it every night. Maybe yeah. have it every other night. Right. Or have it every... Right. What you know. Yeah. yeah. Have that soda once a week. Mm -hmm. Don't have it every day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not... It's... I mean, I don't really like the everything in moderation, including moderation, because... I don't either. Because there's, you know, there's there's meth and there's bleach. Drink bleach in <laughs> yeah. moderation. Yeah. No, that's not right. But a lot of things you can do in moderation and you'll you'll be fine. I mean, there's these, those outliers that are really bad. And I think most of us know what those are. But, I mean, shoot, have the, I think the key is not having the thing, whatever it is, cookies, chips, whatever, in the house. You know, buy like a small bag, pull, just go to, go to town on the small bag, and then be done. Yeah, I house. agree, and I talk about that in, in, in my book, yeah. uh, one of my books, that... Uh, yeah, go go enjoy that big piece of cheesecake or whatever yeah. it is, but if it's in the house, that's brutal. Yeah. Go to the restaurant. Go, go wherever. Go 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 down to the corner store and get your soda, whatever it is. It's it's too tempting when it's at exactly. home. Exactly. Yeah. Jared, I'd like to talk about your your training and and some specific exercises and lifts that that are maybe the most meaningful to you that have allowed you to put on the most mass mm -hmm. and strength. Um, you know, there, there, there's a million different things on the internet about everything and about training. And, you know, some people are big on, on isolation movements. And so the big three, most people, those that don't know what the big three are, you know, it's deadlifts and bench press and squats mm -hmm. and, uh, known you for some time. And I know those are, those are big lifts for you. Um, Talk to me a little, talk to us about those lifts and why they're so important. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, those were going to be my three, the squat, bench press, and deadlift, because they just, isolation movements, I think, have their spot, but I like, I like coming in the gym, but I don't like wasting time either, right? People don't like wasting money. I don't like wasting money either, but you can always get money back. You can never get time back. So if you waste time, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be at a detriment. So to do some sort of compound movement where you're using not only like a squat, where you're not only using your quads, but your hamstrings and your glutes and your, you know, your erectors and your posterior chain, all your, your core, all 200, that stuff. 200 and some muscles. Yeah, exactly. Believe it or not. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, you know, your feet muscles and, you know, the way that, that you balance and to feel the weight and you just, it's compound movements, I think are the best place, um, to start light. Of course, if you're starting out, you do them very, very light. Master your form. Yeah. You check your ego at the door. You know, no one, no one really cares how much weight you do. I mean, just throwing it out there. Like no one's, no one's going to go home at night thinking, oh God, I saw this kid, Jared, he's benching, you know, 300 pounds. <laughs> like no one's, get, no one, no one really cares. Is right? it cool? You know, and do we talk about it? We might, but the bottom line is kind of like if we go back to that engine, mm -hmm. we go back to our heart. If you're not doing it with proper form and you don't build up to it in a systematic fashion. Right. You're gonna get injured, right? And then you're gonna take three steps back for every step forward, and you're yeah. just digging yourself a hole, yeah. right? Yeah. And my suggestion is to 
if someone's newer, is to just understand anatomy a little bit. You don't need to know muscle insertions and where they originate and where they terminate and all that. You don't need to know that stuff, but just think to have some sort of mind-muscle connection. To think, okay, I'm squatting, so I'm using my quads, I can feel my glutes activating, I can feel my hamstrings, I can feel my, you know, the posterior chain, you can feel all that. So just have, and this ties in with, I think, overall health, is just having some awareness. Is just having some awareness about what's going on in your body. And when you eat really, really clean, coming back to nutrition for a second, when you eat really, really clean and you have some sort of awareness about what's going on in your body and what's going on mostly in your brain, because it's the brain that really wants the sugar and all that stuff, you can understand how bad you feel when you get out of that routine of healthy eating. And the same with training is that it's almost the same as if you put too much weight on the bar and you get stuck at the bottom of a squat. You're like, oh crap, I'm, I'm kind of screwed here. You know, I put too much weight on. Yep. You know, bad eating, when you've been eating really good, you feel really, really bad. So it's almost just, like drinking too much exactly. alcohol or something. Yeah. You go, oh boy. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that, right? So I would say, um, you know, sleep, nutrition, along with nutrition is awareness about how you feel, how your body feels, uh, and then training. Because training is important, right? You have to, you know, a huge muscle car from the 1960s, if you don't maintain it, it's not going to be the same seven or, you know, 60 years later. Yep. You know, you, ha you, ha you have to maintain it. And <laughs> yep, so, absolutely. you know, people, I've, you know, some people have said, you know, oh, you know, it's, it's not very cool getting old. You just get weaker. And my first question is, well, what have you done to upkeep your strength? Well, I haven't done anything. Well, that's your problem. That's your number one problem. Absolutely. Jared, as far as strength goes, because you are a very strong man, and so many people, especially young men and, and all men, it seems like, you know, they want it now. And they see the person next to them, and rather than just comparing themselves to themselves and just looking at their own progress, I think many times they, you know, sacrifice that form for the weight. And you are definitely not one of those people. I've seen you be very systematic in your training, which I think is very smart. What's some advice you would give to men and women, young and old, middle-aged, that are that are wanting to get stronger? Uh, we already talked, you know, about the nutrition piece and whatnot and the sleep and those things. Those are going to certainly help with them burning fat and, and um, you know, putting on some muscle mass. But as far as the strength aspect, what, what is some advice you'd have for some of these people listening? Well, uh, that it's not going to come overnight. It's just, it's not. I mean, naturally, I'm, I have very, I have a lot of applied strength. And uh, I think I get that from my grandfather. He was really, really strong. But, you know, going, going through the reps, you, gotta, you have to just come in here, not every day. Just got to put in the time, though, right? Got to put in the time. Got to be consistent. Got to be consistent. The one critique that I could give a lot of people that I see in here is people don't have a plan, right? So I look at it. A lot of things in life like this. You're going on a road trip 
Hey honey, let's go on a road trip. Cool, where do you want to go? California. Cool, how do we get there? Well, we take this highway, this highway, I'd like to see this, like to see this, like to go along this route. Okay. Why don't people do that with the stuff that they find important, like nutrition or coming in here? You have to have a plan. You know, you can't just be like, cool, honey, get in the car. We're going on a road trip. Where are we going? I don't know. And you just go around in circles. It's random. It's not, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. So have a plan. There's no one good training program for everybody. So I think what you kind of have to do is you kind of have to dabble in a little bit of them and see how the results go. I mean, unfortunately, you're going to, you're going to have to put in time. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's exactly what it is, time and effort. But if you stay with it, the one good thing is that you're almost guaranteed to get results. If you stay with it and you're strict enough and you get good sleep, you eat well, you're going to be fine. You're going to get results. It's going to happen. And how does that cross over into, say, business world, into your mm-hmm. job, into relationships, into other things? How would you say this uh, dovetails in with other things in life? Well, everything... At least everything that I've done in my professional career has taken time to be good at it. And if I would have gotten frustrated that I'm not good in the beginning, I think I just would have quit then. Because if you've ever seen a little kid try to do something and they're just not really good at it and they just throw it down and whatever it is that they're doing, they just throw it down because they get frustrated. I think we all go through that, but what we all have to realize is that we, we all have to learn, for one. We all have to grow, and then we all have to adapt because there's things that come up that, you know, that you didn't really plan for. And so you have to be, you have to be adaptable. Those are unforeseen. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so putting in the reps here helps me in a lot of ways with things that I'm not good at doing because I realize that if I do put in the work, if I do put in the effort, that something good's gonna gonna come out of it. What do you have on the horizon? I mean, I know we're all dealing with COVID, mm-hmm. and uh, thank God we have the gym oh. to work out. Thank God we have fitness and well, to, that, to deal with our stress and to deal with everything that's going on. Yeah. Um, it seems like you were uh, in the midst of training for a, was it a Spartan race? Mm-hmm. You still you still got some plans for that? Yeah, it got interrupted by COVID this year, but. I think what uh, my girlfriend, Melissa, had suggested, she said, why don't you do one for your 40th? And I thought, well, cool. It gives it's a great me, goal. It gives me two years to train for one. <laughs> uh, I don't think you need two years. That's no, just my opinion. But it's but... <laughs> just, you know, life, life gets in the way sometimes of things. And, and um, uh, where, where there's a will, there's a way. And so if, there's a, if you have a will to do something, if you have a will to get healthy... And to come in the gym and to eat better and whatever, there's a way. You've got to set it. our priorities, right? Exactly. Got to have those priorities. Yeah. Well, I think that's fantastic. I, I, I know you're going to do that, and I know you'll do well. Um, I, I know you've done uh, a little bit of bodybuilding, and uh, you know, and I, I know we may not call it powerlifting per se that you're, you know, competing in, but you, I know you really are competing against yourself, mm-hmm. which is one of the best things in it. Yeah. Uh, overall, um, you've come a long way. <laughs> I mean, my gosh, to put on 50, 60 pounds of, of lean, hard muscle. Uh, but like you said, it didn't come overnight. 
I mean, it's taken years. And if people are willing to put in the reps, put in the time, um, then then they're gonna they're gonna reap what they sow. Exactly. Right. Yeah, it's almost. I don't want to say well. Yeah, it's almost a guarantee that if you're strict enough, dedicated enough, you're going to get results. It's just don't get frustrated. I think dedication like is a big word. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. And I think don't well not think. I know that some people get frustrated uh, that they don't get results right away, and and it, it's just it's just how it is. Yeah. It you can't you can't get frustrated by something that's a dead proven fact. It's just you just work with it. Right? And depending on their body type, and depending on you know some things with genetics, and yeah. are they are they being true to themselves? Are they being honest? Are they really getting yeah. the proper amount of sleep? Are they really eating most of the time pretty well? Are they eating let's say seventy five percent of the time well and twenty five because it's that you know seventy five eighty percent of the time if you're willing to do that yeah right. What some people need to do is they need to take a really hard look, and I do this a lot for myself. So I, I think I'm speaking mostly to myself maybe. But is just take a hard, realistic look at what you're doing, whether it be, you know, emotionally eating or, I mean, I'll do that sometimes. I'll emotionally eat. I'll have a bad day at work or a long day and I'll just go home and slam a bag of chips. Oh, yeah. And I, I feel like crap. Yeah. But I also have that awareness for that. Okay, cool. I'm not doing that for a while. Right. And so I think to take an account of, what you're doing make a list pros and cons good and bad well i'm doing this really good i'm doing this really good i had a whole bag of oreos last night this that and the other you know just look at those bads as things that are preventing you from achieving your goal and limit them you don't have to get rid of them and no one's saying that you need to become a monk in a cave to work out and then you eat your whatever <laughs> and then you sit there and meditate like no one's saying that it's just act within accordance of where you want to be yeah, a lot of people have a misconception. I believe that uh, people that work out hard and you know they look great and whatever that they never have the junk food. Mm -hmm. And I recommend people have junk food just maybe a couple of times a week. Yeah. I mean, it allows it to be sustainable. Yeah. Right. It's kind of yeah. like exercise. I personally don't think people should work out every single day. Mm -hmm. Allow yourself a, a break. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you know your breaks. When you work out really, really hard and when you put in that effort, just like eating really, really good for a short period of time, when you have that break or when you have that slice of pie or whatever, it tastes five times better. Or that it, or that time off is five times better. We appreciate it that much more. Oh my right? gosh, it's it's amazing. Where I can I can literally now, if it's a Sunday, usually Sundays are my rest days where I don't do much. I'll go for a walk outside or whatever. But it's just so nice to be able to sit down on a Sunday, turn my brain off, maybe watch some football, and not have any sort of guilt around yeah. it. Because I knew that the past, you know, I'll, I'll train five, four to five days a week, really. Now, granted, I'm not married. I don't have kids. and So, you know, I can do that. But uh, most people maybe won't be able to do that. But it's just that time off to feel guilty about it and it's amazing and that's where I have to say a big thank you to you is that you and um, what you've built is a huge influence to me because you know this is in here this is my therapy the gym is, is my therapy I I've gone through some dark times 
personally in the past couple of years where, I mean, I don't know, not saying there would be anything drastic that would have happened, but I might have, I don't know. You know, you might, sometimes you just slip and go down the wrong path and mm -hmm. you start drinking too much and doing whatever. And, and so in here is, you know, it's my outlet. It's my time to think. It's my time to, what I used to do when I was riding my bike is you get dressed, you get your gear on. I call it now my clown suit. <laughs> and you, you work through things, right? I would work through a lot of things uh, relationship-wise when I was in the gym or work-wise or, um, you know, I know you know, but, you know, I was out of work for a while, but I would still come in because it was a place where I found that I got not only good results and felt better, but I could work through a lot of things that were happening in my life. And, you know, for me, so for me, I, you know, I say thank you. And oh my gosh, yeah. I... You're always so engaged with people. And I know you're busy, and but yet people come up to you and talk to you and you're, you know, you're super engaged with them. And that's, I, I know this is a place that I don't ever want to go away. Well, I... I appreciate that, and you know the mental piece is huge. It's it's a it's a huge piece for me. It's something we haven't talked about, um, and it's arguably the most important, mm -hmm. really, mm -hmm. because if we don't have our mental health, then what good is our physical health? Right. And it's all tied together. Sure. Um, I think some people don't realize that, but uh, well, Jared, I could. I could spend the rest of the day, but uh, I think it's time to go have that treat meal. Maybe we should go grab a bag of chips and a couple let's of beers. It. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, thanks again um, for coming on. It's been wonderful, and I really appreciate this red, white, and blue jersey. Yeah. I'm going to hang it up with pride, and uh, I look forward to seeing your new challenges and your new lifts and that Spartan race yeah. that's on the horizon. Yeah. And... Uh, Stay in touch, and maybe we'll get you back on here after you win that Spartan race. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see <laughs> All right, Jared. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the popular books, Wellness Toolbox 1 and 2. These books are available on Amazon, as well as at local Durango, Colorado merchants. Purchase your copies today. <laughs>